Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. This is episode number 138, and I'm your host, Diane Emerson. I'm going to be breaking this segment up into two groups, and today I'm going to be covering the general, um, some general things. I've been researching the last few weeks, well, actually the last few years, about child marriages. And so what I'd like to do is share you all, share with you all the updated information. And um just as an added note, if you check the show links down below, I put a lot of links there. And if you're not interested in them, then I'll just stop. But um, there's a new person I ran across that I'm not going to be talking about today. And her name is Rosa Corey, K-O-I-R-E. And you might find her information very interesting. She's a very fascinating woman. And she is talking about the UN Agenda. And it's called the UN Agenda 2030. And it's just this really big complicated thing. But anyway, so I'll put the links down below and anything you can do to help share the links, subscribe, comment. I guess when you like things and stuff, it helps with the algorithms. And because we're so deep in the red zone, it will certainly help if the channel appears more active. So today I'll be talking about part one, and I'm going to be talking about all the ways that age and consent and child marriages can be very misleading. And why? Because you have to also have the enforcement of these laws. So I'd like to give you one quick update um, because this is all going to play into what's going to happen down the road. So either we all get engaged because I'm not really sure what's going to happen here because the deeper I go into this, the more concerned I become. So we're, we're actually starting to see things that are happening that could have long, long, long lasting effects. So just one little bit of information that's going on in the world of encryption and child rape and all that is Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. He announced that his company is expanding the use of end-to-end encryption on its services, preventing Facebook or anyone else from seeing the contents of communication. So what they're doing, end-to-end encryption means that um, you're going to basically be able to use the Facebook platform and their servers and stuff as a way to run your own pedophile rings is what I'm kind of guessing here. So Zuckerberg con- conceded that this comes at a cost. Yeah, really. Encryption is a powerful tool for privacy, but that includes the privacy of people doing bad things, he said. When billions of people use a service to connect, some of them are going to misuse it for truly terrible things like child exploitation, terrorism, and extortion. But hey, we're going ahead with it anyways. So here's the deal. What happens in these cases is that um, we're also seeing a trend now in um, children. Um, I'm just going to talk about a couple trends that I found when I was doing the research that have come up. Um, I'm not going to be doing a lot of... um, data statistics commenting because I'm not really sure how good most of these statistics are that I've run across. Um, Because as it turns out, the UN tends to be in charge of all these statistics, which makes it even more interesting because they're really big on putting out statistics as far as, um, because I'll be talking about the top 10 countries for child marriages, um, the top three places that have the most child marriages. And there are some statistics that I was able to confirm and many others that I wasn't. So what I'm going to be doing is going through some of the different things to look for in these statistics, okay? Because at first I looked at the age of consent and I thought, well, this is looking better than when I looked at it a year or two ago because India is now up to 18 years old. But that's very deceiving. So I'll I'll tell more about that as I go along here. So um, what's happening now, which is... um, 
There's just several things that I was running across that I found alarming as far as children. One is that the state is now trying to teach children touching and masturbation in schools, which seems a little bit alarming that you should be telling six-year-olds that, you know, this is okay. Um, I'm not saying it's not okay, but I'm just not saying that strangers, I'm just saying that strangers are probably not the right people to be teaching your children intimacy. Because what does is that breaks down that barrier. Because the next person that comes along and touches that child, the child will have started to become normalized to that. So that's my big concern. Now, whether I'm right or wrong, I really don't know. But this is why we're having a chat here, because I can't do this all on my own. And children are at high risk. And what I found out this week was even more alarming that in this country, children as young as six years old, between six and eight years old, now that's pretty tiny, right? They are actually watching porn is how they're finding out about sex. Porn, children, six years old, eight years old. And they're also finding online groups to engage with hate groups. So watch your children online. I don't know if electronics have become the latest babysitting tool or what, but you know, I would suggest tracking your children and making sure that they're not getting caught up with some sort of predators. So um, what happened was, was this was a new study that was done by Bitfender. And I'll go along with this study. It's probably fairly reasonable. It suggests that children begin watching online pornography at the age of six. So they also began flirting online by eight years old. I, I don't know, maybe it's my age showing here, but anyway, so, um, yeah, so we've got, um, we can't keep silencing this conversation because what we're doing is we're setting these children up to being targets because we're, we're leaving the talking up to the schools. We're not taking it within our own communities. And that's where we have to start taking this talking to is teach those children how to fight, teach them how to question authority. Because um, so what, what happens with all these marriages is that it starts out and there are a lot of horrible things that happen to boys in these countries that I will acknowledge, but I have not, I won't be talking about the boys for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be talking about the girls and the women. And what happens is, is that uh, from adolescent onwards, millions of girls and women are still denied access to schooling or the chance to fulfill their productive potential. Actually, what's happening is by forcing children to marry is that you're essentially taking away that child's rights. So they're marrying at ages too young to ensure independent choice, and they are using modern contraceptives at rates far below the global average. Very little contraceptive, actually. With the resulting consequences that reproductive life starts early. We're having children having children is what's going on. And um, pretty sad. So they're raising these babies without proper access to health care, and it's sustained for many years at high risk to health and life. So children having children is extraordinarily high risk to the life of those children. And we also have things going on in these cultures to make the children's appear more like adults. And what happens is, is that in one of the countries that I was researching, um, they actually, um, some of the... Um, Children get raped, then they go into prostitution, and then it becomes this whole cycle. And I'll be going into the different types of marriages they have to also um, – well, it's, it's they use different kinds of marriages as a way to promote prostitution is what it is. So, um, so anyway, so they also do – so anyway, so some of these people in these countries, what they do is it's a lot of um, poverty. It's a lot of lack of education. But in order to appear older, they're actually taking um, things like steroids and stuff to – 
make themselves heavier so they don't look like little tiny little girls. So, yeah. And then also they have this thing with acid throwing in a lot of these countries. So it all has to do with a lot of have to shame and family and all that. So, yeah. So we have some pretty um, serious things going on and it's being targeted at the women and the children. So there was a, um, I'd like to go, there was a list of 10, um, 10 top countries as far as um, bad bad for children and bad for women and marriage and all that. So I think number 10 will kind of surprise you because um, I found a study that was actually, I was able to verify that was done in 2018 by the Thomas Reuters Foundation poll. And this study ranks the top 10 countries as far as in terms of how bad they are. So number one is the worst and that's India. And at first I thought India, this is going to be okay because the first part of my research I did all, um, written. Uh, I, I go through all the written journalisms, all the written newspapers, all the written things that have been said about this subject. And then I eventually move on to the uh, visual part. And the reason for that is because along the way, you have to start looking at these people when they're talking about this rape and this child marriage and start to take a look at these people and evaluate them and think, are all these people psychopaths that are raping these children and marrying them? Or do we have more of a cultural issue here? And so this has been going on for thousands of years. So I think in a lot of these cases, it has to do with ignorance and culture. It doesn't have to do with all these people marrying these kids are all rapists and, and psychopaths, but it's, it's inbred into their system. Probably the wrong word, but anyway, so let's start off with number one, India. And they have an age of consent at 18. So at first I kind of looked past them and I thought, good for India. They've passed the age of consent since I checked a year or two ago. So they topped the list with the levels of violence against women still running high. More than five years after the rape and murder of a student in a bus in Delhi sparked national outrage and government pledges to tackle the issue. India ranked as the most dangerous on, these, on three issues. The risks women face from sexual violence and harassment, from cultural and traditional practices, and from human trafficking, including forced labor, sex slavery, and domestic servitude. So... Pretty bad about India. What happens is is that they pay the um the the girls get married off with a dowry and um so but what happens is is that they go through all of this and they select the brides and some of them they're selecting as young as eight, nine years old, depending on the country. So we've got a lot of cultural issues going on here. So let's not stand in judgment of the countries themselves, um, because I think that they, they need education. They need to get out to these people to explain the horrific end result of this. So topic number two, Afghanistan, second on the list, with experts saying women Ace dire problems nearly oh face <laughs> ace face dire problems nearly 17 years after the overthrow of the Taliban. It's the most dangerous and it's also, along with India, the most shaky as far as sexual violence, access to health care, and economic resources. So that is Afghanistan at number two. Number three, we have Syria. Everybody's over there invading Syria right now. So um yeah, um it's the third. It's after seven years of civil war ranked as second most dangerous for women in terms of access to health care and non-sexual violence. That would mean probably knifings or acids running and all that, which includes conflict-related violence as well as domestic abuse. Joint, this is important to pay, third with the United States on the risks 
women face sexual abuse. So Syria and the United States are both number three, but I'll get to the United States in a little bit here. So coming in at number four, we have Somalia. It's been first after being mired in conflict since 1991. War is really, uh, we, we've been in conflict for so long that um, it's, you know, some of these company, countries have started to get themselves out of poverty. But what happens is, is that the elites and the people that are running the war machines go in there and then they stay there because they want to strip their um, mining facilities. Their resources, everything that they have, they want to strip it out. And along with that, they want to beat the um, any progress that the culture or the society has made. They want to beat that back down. So I'm going to post a link down below that you might want to – I'll put a warning on it because it shows you what the royal family is now doing in the African countries with the depleted uranium for the war stuff. And it's a pretty ugly picture. So I will put a little warning around that. I wouldn't recommend watching that before bedtime. So um, so anyway, so yeah, so Somalia, they um, – they have here again cultural practices. They're fifth, in, and so then we have the. They're the fifth in terms of women having access to economic resources. Women and children. Um, what happens when they marry off the girl? The girls become bargaining chips. So when they marry off the girl to a family, the girl then becomes the um, more like assistant housemaid to the. Um, her groom's mother. So the they they bring the young girl in to the groom's family because she almost becomes like an added set of hands for them. They get her to drop out of school. She moves in with them and they do all this stuff. So yeah, in Saudi Arabia, let's talk about Saudi Arabia. They don't have any age of consent and they're overall fifth. But the conservative kingdom was named the second most dangerous country for women in terms of economic access, access and discrimination including in the workplace and in terms of property rights. Fifth, in terms of risk women's face from cultural and religious practices. All this stuff boils down to religious and culture is what it does. And number six, we have Pakistan. Sixth most dangerous and fourth worst in terms of economic resources and discrimination, as well as the risk women face from cultural, religious, and traditional practices. Here again, we get, and they also have the so-called honor killings. Pakistan ranked on non-sexual violence, including domestic abuse. From 2010 to 2018, the number of HIV-positive people, this is up to 2018, that was last year, in Pakistan nearly doubled to about 160,000, according to estimates by the UNAIDS. The UN has a million divisions. But what I've noticed is they're really big on um, pointing the fingers and pointing out things statistically, but they don't seem to be really good at trying to help these people accomplish these things. So um, the United Nations Task Force, they were involved with Pakistan, and they specialize in HIV and AIDS. And during that time, the number of new infections jumped 38%. So, pretty high jump in HIV going up there. So, number seven, Democratic Republic of Congo. I talked about them last week. They're listed as seventh with the United Nations warning millions of people face hellish living conditions after years of fact factional bloodshed and lawlessness. Ranked as second most dangerous country for women as regards to sexual violence. And between seventh and ninth in four other questions. Number eight, we have Yemen. It's eighth in the list after ranking poorly on access to health care, economic resources, risk from cultural and traditional practices. 
And I want to ask you about number 10, because I'm not sure where the cultural practice come in on that one. So Yemen is still reeling from the world's most urgent humanitarian crisis with 22 million people in need of vital assistance. It's actually a genocide. It's what's going on in Yemen. And they're bringing out the phosphate and whatnot to literally burn the children alive. So Yemen is in pretty rough shape right now. Um, Nigeria. Uh, Yemen started, by the way, because Saudi Arabia didn't like Yemen. And so before Obama left office, he used the um, Patriot Act to go and he was going to go there. They, they, he used the claim they were going to just be refueling in Yemen. He left off the part they were going to be burning children and women alive. So um, so anyway, so yeah, thank Obama for that one. Um, Nigeria ranked as ninth with human rights groups accusing the country's military of torture, rape, and killing civilians during a nine-year fight against Boko Haram, the militants. Nigeria was named fourth most dangerous country, and it came to as far as human trafficking. It listed six worth of the world's women facing from traditional practices. And now we come to number 10, which is going to be the surprise one here. Guess who number 10 is? Number 10 is the United States, the country where I am now sitting. It is the country that I, I think probably has the highest level of psychopathic behaviors in the world. I mean, we have we have bases all over the world. We're very predatory. Um, so it didn't surprise me that the United States is number 10 because we have a huge problem here. I mean, there's a lot of trafficking going on. Um, we're, we're a country in denial. I mean, we basically are, are screwed here. <laughs> and um, so what happened in the United States is that we run it wrong and we, we have developed the team thing to a, just a science, okay? So the Republicans, the Democrats, all they do is they swap back and forth. That's all they do, okay? So because of that, the United States and because of our warlike activities around the world, I mean, we're really, in the old days, mass murders would eventually get prison terms. This country, um, they hide it from the media here. No one knows about it. So um, 25 cents of every tax dollar goes to murdering in these countries that I just listed off here. So um, that doesn't leave much money for support here at home. So we have a huge trafficking problem. And I'm living now in farm country. And the trafficking problem has gotten horrible here because traffickers aren't stupid, okay? They move to where the children are. And because of the naivety, <laughs> I'm not a good pronouncer, um, of the area, I mean, a lot of people still leave their doors unlocked. So because of that kind of laid back kind of attitude, um, it becomes very precarious because you've got a lot of um, traffickers patrolling around in the middle of the country. So we have an out of control problem. So it's race. It. The United States, a Western nation, in the top 10 and joint third with Syria for the risks women face in terms of sexual violence, including rape, sexual harassment, coercion into sex, and lack of access to justice in rape cases. And that's very true. You know, I saw a report the other day, you know, we have a backlog of rape kits in this country. So, I mean, if we stop killing people in the Middle East, we might be able to clean up some of these rape kits. So, yeah, we have a big backlog of rape kits. We have a lot of people who are running around. And the, the, the worst part is, is that if we don't clear up some of these crimes, those people are still committing other crimes. So um, the real number is likely higher. Much of the population goes untested. So what happens in this country is, is that we have this illusion that we're a developed country. But I think beyond that, I'm not really so sure we are a developed country. I mean, have you seen our bridges around here? Um so anyway, so the U.S. ranks number 10. Nothing to be very proud about, that's for sure. 
um, when it comes to rights for women and children. So um, I guess, you know, the Me Too movement seemed to have kind of fittered away when they got away from Hollywood. So anyway, so I'm going to start in a little bit about child brides today, and then I'll pick it up on the other side. It's kind of a kind of a rough topic. Um, and boys can be child brides too, but today I'm just going to be talking about the girls, okay? And the, the ages are all over the um, map as far as what part of the world, how early they get married. Um, so it, it varies dramatically. And what's happening is countries are setting up ages of consent now, which is great. Because I mentioned India earlier at 18. I was saying, yay, India, 18. No, not so good. But anyway, so um, what happens is they're now starting to legislate to bring the age up to 18. But what's happening is, is there's no enforcement of it. So, And a lot of the shows that I was watching that were more recent, what's happening is the people are learning to lie to the officials. So what they're doing is if somebody comes nosing around to see if you're marrying your nine-year-old child, what they do is they tell everybody that it's not really happening. So they, they're, they're finding out ways around this. And one of the things they do with these children is they marry them off very young. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is because it's a, um, well, they're, they're, this is their logic, okay? Uh, part of that logic is to prevent them from being raped, okay? So what you do is you get them to be married off to somebody, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. And what they're saying now is that they're not really having the child go live with the groom's family. But that seems to me what's really happening here, okay? The girls are dropping out of school and they're moving in with the, the groom's family. So what's happening is, is that it's really putting these girls at high risk. And I think the average age of these girls is about 40 years old, 40. So everybody's in a rush to have kids. And all these villages, everybody's in this big rush to have kids. And part of the reason for the rush to have kids, just one of the reasons I picked up on, was that the mothers are actually asking the daughters if they can have grandchildren while the mother's still alive because you get that 40-year-old age thing. So let's talk about the five countries with the highest number of child marriages. 117 nations will allow child marriages, and the U.S. is one of them. Number five, Ethiopia. Number four, Brazil. Number three, Nigeria. Number two, Bangladesh. And number one, we have India. Child marriage isn't just a practice that victimizes girls in poor countries. It's long been an issue in the United States involving girls from a wide range of backgrounds. Based on state marriage license data and other sources, advocacy groups and experts estimate that between 2000 and 2015 alone, well over 200,000 children, nearly all of them girls, were married. And this is the United States. In nearly all cases, the husband was an adult. 25 states in this country, still talking about the United States, I haven't moved back to India. 25 states do not set a minimum age at which a person can get married. 25, okay. And eight more set it at an age lower than 16, Alaska and North Carolina, for example, set the age at 14, one, four. Now, some of these things might have shifted around the last couple of years, but in New Hampshire, it's 13 for girls, 14 for boys. I remember being 13. Do you think I could have made a decision to get married at 13? I don't think so. In all of these states, minors who are below a certain age, it varies from state to state, must still get a judge's approval to marry. So they need to get a judge's approval. So 
But this is hardly a robust protection against the exploitation of children. For instance, some states do not specify that the ruling judge must work in a court system. So in other words, the judge doesn't have to have any experience in this. That gives them expertise in such matters, family, juvenile, or domestic relations court. Similarly, very few states require that the child be appointed his or her own counsel. All children should be um, have an attorney. It's called guardian ad litem. So when you have a child, they should have legal representation because we're talking about taking away basic rights from a child and forcing. Do you think any 13-year-old wants to marry a 50-year-old guy? I don't think so. Only two states, only two state laws specify that a judge cannot approve a marriage solely because the child's parents have consented. So just because the child's parents have consented doesn't mean the judge has to go along with it. And nine states expressly permit pregnancy pregnancy, okay, as a reason to lower the minimum age. So what do I say here? So anyway, so what happens is, is that um, they, in here in this country, we um, marry them off young too. And you would have thought that um, we're, we're not even following any traditions here. We're not even, um, I don't live in a village. I don't live in a grass hut. Um, so what, what is, what's the excuse for this? I, I can come up with I, I could come up with a million excuses right now for why people in India, Afghanistan, all of them are a bit, bit behind the scene here. But what I can understand is how the country we're sitting and talking about this, how are they allowing that to go on? Can you answer that? I mean, it seems like... Um, Parents, in order to protect the abuser, is able to marry off the pregnant child to that rapist, um, which mo more times than not is a family member, a close relative or whatever. So imagine what that does to a 13-year-old girl that your parents now tell you you've got to be married to the guy who's raped you. So you start to see where things will start to kind of clog up around here as far as we're raising a group of people, children, who have never been allowed to be children and have been allowed to be raped, have been allowed to be married off. And we're no different than a third world country. Really, we're not. If you can tell me how this country is any different than a third world country, I'm all ears. Because what happens is in a lot of these countries is the young girl is traded as payment for a financial dispute also. It's not always just about sex. The girls are bargaining ships. In certain cases, probably in Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and Yemen, young girls are abducted and raped by most often by young men and older widowers and subsequently forced to marry their captors to protect their family's honor. Happens here in this country too, all the time. Whatever form the marital transaction takes, there are two characteristics common to nearly all child marriages. The bride is rarely included in the decision to marry, and she is almost always sold to the husband for some kind of financial benefit to her parents or guardians. It is this underlying economic exchange for the girls and their sexual services, along with the girls' lack of consent, which makes a child marriage a form of sexual exploitation on par with child prostitution. Let that sink in for a second. You get your kid married off early, you're really telling your kid that she's a prostitute, okay? You're selling her off. A dramatic rise in child marriages in East India due to conflicts and climate changes, charities in the region said child brides being traded for cows and goats in order for families to survive. They trade the girls off. One guy was watching the show and he traded one, 
one daughter got married and then she had the family did something horrible to her. So she was suffering and had to go to the hospital. So then what did he do to get money for the hospital? He sold his other two daughters off. So see how the thing just keeps going and going and going. And we're talking this year. We're not talking a uh, hundred years ago. So, so meanwhile, what's happened because of all the conflict, all the wars, severe drought has diminished livestock numbers in Kenya to such a degree that daughters are being exchanged for goats. So what I'm going to do is next week, I'm going to pick this up because there's other types of marriages that are taking place here. And really, they're forms of prostitution is what they are, but they're disguised, they're um, encouraged by the religious communities in these areas, and they're disguised as, I don't know, help. Everything always comes disguised as help, doesn't it? So anyway, so be safe out there. I'll chat with you next week, and thanks for checking in. Goodbye for now.